and welcome to episode six of Etc. Etc. with Young Southpaw. That's moi, me if you don't got your French tongue on. Today's guests are the Indelicates. A real pleasure to have them on. I have loved this band since the beginning. I remember I first hearing of them in 2006 when they were due to play a show at the Windmill in Brixton with Luxembourg and Mr. Solo, who I had on last episode, you know? And in the end, the Indelicates couldn't make it, which I've always put down to being that it would have been too powerful an event to actually happen in the universe. Now, their second album, Songs for Swinging Lovers, is one of my all-time favorite records. It's just nonstop awesome. And This past year or so, they've been working on a musical called Paradise Rocks, which is a retelling of Milton's Paradise Lost as an Elvis Hawaii movie. Woo! Uh, we had some interference over the Skype, so please pardon the occasional sound issue, but, but let's get to it. All right, I'm here today with the Indelicates, Simon and Julia. How y'all doing? Uh, I guess it's this evening where y'all are. Uh, it is. It's, uh, it's 9.46. I'm looking out at nothing because there is dark outside. Mm, and no cars. No cars. Mm. So not even any headlights. No headlights. I, mean, are there, I don't know if there are. To be honest, I, the, the windows, the, the blinds are shut. So I, 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 But it, it is dark on the other side of them. So... So if, if they were open, I would not be able to see. That's true. Light. Well, let's see if we can bring a little light to the world right now. We're going to do a bit of a career retrospective today. Now, your band name, The Indelicates, always reminds me of how, like, flammable and inflammable actually mean the same thing. So, like, have you ever set yourselves on fire? I mean... I have, but usually um, only metaphorically. It kind of, it's kind of a bipolar thing. It's, you know, sometimes you'll just be on fire, and and sometimes you won't be. I, I'm trying to think. Did you ever set yourself on fire? I used to drink a lot. <laughs> yeah, so you <laughs> may. Have. have you ever drunk a drink that was on fire? Yes. Yes. Does that count? Um, it doesn't not count. But I mean, say you were to set yourself on fire, and then douse it out with the drink you were drinking. I mean, that's like a plan. Not if it's a flammable drink. Yeah. I mean, if it's a flammable drink, if you set yourself on fire and then you try and put yourself out with a flammable or inflammable drink, then you're going to be in trouble because you're just going to be more on fire. So, I mean, that's, a, that's the dilemma that you face in that kind of situation. It's bad planning, really. I mean, if that's, if that's, then if that's what you're relying on as a plan, then I, I think it's... It's probably a mistake. What you want to do is you want to have a non-inflammable or flammable drink on hand at the same time. Basically, if you're drinking flammable or inflammable drinks, you need to have a, a, a non-flammable drink on as a sidecar kind of thing to make sure that you're okay. That's my advice. Bringing this into your band name, do you have delicate things surrounding you? Yes. Yes. Like porcelain? We don't have much porcelain. We've got quite a delicate plant. They're not particularly delicate, the children. I mean, one of them's a baby, and he is not... He is a bit delicate. You couldn't... If you dropped him, you would... Yeah. He would go, ah! But I don't know if he'd break. I mean, they're quite bouncy. <laughs> Babies. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they're sort of... It's more, they're more cartilaginous than adults. So if you were, if you do drop them, they, they tend to sort of reform. So... So probably not. They're not. That's the main thing. And the, the thing that they fill the house with. Mainly, our house is filled with with plastic dinosaurs, which are quite hard wearing. So 
Now, I don't have any children myself, but like, will there be a point where you have to teach them not to set themselves on fire? No, that's kind of, it's, it sort of it contains its own lesson. It, it's one of those things like you're not going to set yourself on fire and, and then not, and then not learn from that. So I think once you've, um, yeah, it's almost something that you don't need to teach. It's just one of those things you need to look smugly facially when it happens so that they know that the lesson which they're learning themselves is a lesson that, that you need to um is a lesson that, that you you approve of and agree with so that there's no conflict but you don't want to just step in and so that's just overbearing now in the early days of motley crew nicky six used to set his own legs on fire i mean you can see it in the live wire video and like since this is the sixth episode of the podcast and you guys have released six records I thought we should probably talk about Nikki Six a little bit. Like, you guys have done a bunch of covers over the years. Have you ever done any Motley Crue covers? No, we've never had that requested, but I bet we will now. Which one would we do? I don't know. <laughs> well, you got Home Sweet Home with the piano. That's kind of an obvious one for your instrumentation. But I mean, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to limit you guys. If you want to like cover the whole Doctor Feelgood album, we covered "Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter" fairly recently. I was going to ask. That was about very this. loud. And- was that like a part two to your "Our Daughters Will Never Be Free"? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I suppose it's more of it's more of a um, it's more of a prequel. It's less of a part two and more of a part zero. It's kind of yeah. a it's kind of a. So why why will these daughters not be free? And it's because they've been brought to the slaughter. It turns out that's the kind of prequel twist. It's like it's the whole thing. So I don't know. We should probably do a sequel though, because having so you know, bring your daughters to the slaughter, that'd be part zero, and then part one is, like, is your song. Mm. Our daughters will never be free. And then we need a third song where we catch up with the daughters, see how they're doing in captivity, mm. find out. Um, maybe it'd be kind of like uh, the you know the guy with the with the. Fritzel, be like Fritzel. That's basically would be like a Fritzel-based part, part, part two, where it's sort of like it turns. I think it would be a happy ending because it would the daughters would would in fact be free at the end, um, and it would and it, and it would be like and it would reframe your songs about the daughters never being free as a kind of like unreliable narrator because it turns out they will be. You just need to be patient. Yeah, I think that's what that would be. So yeah, and that works. I mean, the song is, it sounds so scary, you know, but like it probably never would have come about if Daughter and Slaughter didn't rhyme. Like how much of music do you think is just based solely on rhyme rather than any sort of real sense? Loads. Quite a lot. Yeah. Quite a lot of Bob Dylan's new effort. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really does use every, everything that rhymes with foul. To, um, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think he's a wise old owl would have made it to the lyrics if it didn't um, rhyme with murder most foul. And actually, there's that book that Ryder likes, which is uh, the book about a Kiwi, um, a New Zealand-based Kiwi, who a lot of the things that happen in that are mainly because of the rhyme, I think. Yeah. Like, they put them there as placeholders and never change them. So it's like most things are based on rhyme. I think that's something that Americans tend to believe, based on my viewing of the Ricky Lake show, that quite often, if... If if a, a sentiment can be made to rhyme, then that's generally assumed to be true. And I think the, sci- the scientific evidence base for that is, is is more limited than I think people imagine. It's distressing. I mean, 
it's no basis for a justice system, for example. I mean, I think, you know, and I think, I think this, this thing that's happened where we base just criminal justice on whether or not if things fit, then you have to acquit. And I think that's a mistake. I think really we need to kind of, maybe not someone needs to go back, have a look at the constitution, say that actually um, rhyming, the, the rhyming imperative isn't enough reason to base uh, acquittals on, and and you need other things. At least, at least you'd consider other other things before you can before you can move forward with a system like that. Yeah, I, I just wanted to point out you, you said earlier that "Bring Your Daughter" this slaughter wasn't a Motley Crue song. It was actually it wasn't originally an Iron Maiden song. Originally, Bruce Dickinson did it solo for the Nightmare on Elm Street Part Five soundtrack. Wow. Mm. I did not know that. Yeah. It's a great soundtrack, though. Yeah, it is, yeah. Like, it's like the um, John Bon Jovi's first um, recorded... I think I think it's the first but John Bon Jovi song on record is R2-D2, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Really? Yeah, I think so. It's on the Star Wars Christmas record, Star Wars Christmas album. I didn't know that was Jovi. It's... it's um. Yeah, it's, it, he's he's not credited. He's credited with his, as in like Bon Jovi, as in the original, the pre-adaptation um, name. But I think I think that's right. That that's, that's his first actual performance that's recorded. I think it's that. I think it's R two D two. Michelle Merry Christmas. I'm trying to think because there is what you buy a Wookiee for Christmas. If he own, doesn't if he already owns a comb. But I don't think he sings on that. I think it's just the R two D two one. It's a good record. I mean, it's, it's you know it's it's, it's Christmassy. I'm gonna have to look <laughs> deeper into this. Thank you. Absolutely, you're welcome. Now, speaking of front men, do you have the kids game Simon Says in the UK? Yes. Yes, we do. Yeah, I don't think I've ever played it, though. Really? But have you ever played it? Yes, it's very popular. Oh, okay. Julia's a bit strange. She grew up in Saudi Arabia. I wasn't, I wasn't born in England, so we didn't do I think Simon it. Says is haram. <laughs> oh, probably. Not in a compound, but... Yeah. Do well, they have yeah, it in it's Iran because you shouldn't be doing what Simon says. You'd be doing what Allah says. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's Simon, just theology. It's based- do you ever pull that at band practice? Well, they, I tried, and for years I tried to, to do it. But again, there's just this. It's because of her Muslim upbringing. She doesn't. She refuses to recognize any authority outside of outside of the theocracy that she's used to. I see. Yeah. Every time I was, Simon says play F and everyone just plays G every time. <laughs> no respect. But then if they don't, they're out of the band, right? Yeah, but that's the thing, because Julia does personnel. I I, ah. I I can't I don't have the power I, I, I have the power to, to bloviate in the corner, but they just ignore me and it's up to Julia who gets lives and dies. So it's always been that way. Yeah. There's just no patriarchy at all. It's really, really distressing. <laughs> I would have thought like that would have been one of the great benefits to being named Simon and being in a band, but obviously you've uh, really found a way to thwart it. Do you know how it is in Duran Duran? I'm not really an expert, but I mean, no, but uh, huh, that is a good point, you know. I'm trying to think of other Simons in bands. The Cure wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Simon Gallup. No, yeah. no, it wouldn't. The name thing is weird with Duran Duran because three of them are named Taylor. I know someone else who's a Simon Taylor, but he, as far as I know, he was not the dominant force in the band that I knew he was in. And he was in a band with a friend of mine called John, and they were called the Counts, but the O was really small. Um, uh, and I think that mainly came from John. 
as I as I recall. I don't think so. Unless Simon was the secret power behind the behind the throne, in which case, in which case, the, the Simon rule. I think possibly the Simon rule is, is a red herring invented by people to, to oppress Simon, in that they're, they're telling everyone that, that Simon's have all this power. But actually, when it comes down to it, it's just we're 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 discriminated against horribly. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit sore about that. What about Simon and Garfunkel? You think he was just pulling that all the time on old Garfunkel? I'm sure he was pulling that all the time on Garfunkel. That explains an awful lot, to be honest. Well, we're really, you know, covering a lot here. Uncovering a lot here. Yeah. We're <laughs> blowing the lid right off this thing. We're through the looking glass. I said this was going to be sort of a uh, career retrospective. So, like, uh, let's bring it back to the first album. Uh, you, you might know I'm a big fan of time travel. And on the first record, mm. we've got Julia, We Don't Live in the 60s. Was there some sort of time traveling going on, like when the band formed? Like, were you like some sort of like beat combo in the sixties? But you ultimately opted against this, but you still needed a reminder. Like, I don't, I'm trying to figure this one out. Yes, <laughs> Julia, <laughs> answer the question. I've forgotten what the question was. I'm sorry. Were we? You've got to pay more attention. Simon says that you have to answer the question about being in the sixties. Yeah. Were you time traveling when you started the band? Actually, uh, the question really is: Are we time traveling now? Because if we was if we were a band in the sixties, did we, are we actually a band that stumbled into something and moved forward in time when it was less popular and un, much less likely to provide a stable income? To which the answer is yes. Okay. What was it like in the sixties, Julia, when you first started band? It was uh, sexy time. Lots of short skirts and stuff. That was fun. Lots of me. Yeah. Lots of secret clubs and stuff. Bird watching. Bird watching? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Is that slang? Is that 60 slang? Yeah, that's what I meant about secret clubs and bird watching. I was trying to remember the name of the of our special club that we went to. It was called bird watching. I don't know. I feel like it was called that. Time traveling makes your brain a bit woozy. So I've heard. Yeah, that was that's what it was like. So, <laughs> why ever did you choose to to settle here then, in the in the noughties? We got stuck. It was a terrible. Yeah, it's, it's it's tough to talk about. We were we we. Well, I mean, we we we, we sat there with our with our flux capacitor and our little um little keyboard playing playing the time, and I said, whatever you do, don't pick twenty twenty. It's awful. Uh, you know, it's a real mistake. But Julia typed it in wrong. And then the flux capacitor broke. Yeah. And then there was a pandemic, so we couldn't go and drive past the clock tower like we needed to. So we can't actually get back. It's really bad. I mean, because we're, we're just trapped in here. There's a lot. The, the bird watching club is is swinging without us, and it hurts. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Speaking of swinging, on to the second record, Songs for Swinging Lovers. One of my favorite songs of yours is Ill. But, you know, it's spelt with a capital I and then two lowercase L's. So, I mean, it looks like the Roman numeral three. And yet it's the fourth song on the album. I mean, it's, it's disorientating. Yeah, it is. I'd like to think that was intentional, but I think, and I think it was, but it was intentional on the part of the universe and not us. Because <laughs> it is a definite problem trying to write out the, the, uh, the, the, it is an issue when you're trying to write out there. Write out the track listing that we do often have this problem, but it does because but you can't move it to the tra- to track three just because the universe is conspiring with fonts to mess up your track listing. You just have to power through and just refuse to 
refuse to be cowed by such um, synchronicities and it's just not a good idea jumping ahead to the uh the not alone video mm. when the lights start coming on in that and you're actually surrounded by a bunch of people like were you, were you surprised by that or it's like that scripted in no it was really surprising um because I had this whole thing worked out where I would just sit in the we we, we hired a dark space in London, um, went up there and I didn't reread the contract. I was just you know like dark space was all we needed, and so we set up all these lights ready to come on, and I was aware that there was a kind of shuffling, a kind of a kind of presence, but I just assumed that would be like other gods, or, you know. And then the lights came on, and there's just all these motherfuckers. I couldn't believe it. And so, yeah, it was really, really surprising. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I was deep just, I, I knew you were there, but I was really expecting to see you. All. I'm always there. Yeah, like um, like, like Nyarlathotep. Um, but, but everyone else was just a huge surprise. I'm glad someone's asked me about that, actually, because it's been, it's been, it's been very traumatic dealing with it, because, you know, I was upset and scared, and, and, and a lot of people just... You know, the song's actually about how I wanted to be alone and <laughs> ruined it. Yeah. You do like to be alone. So I mean, that, that leads me to ask how much of the Diseases of England album was influenced by, like, visitors from the spectral world? 86%? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, what about the bits that you wrote? Probably 100%. Uh, pretty, pretty much 100% on Diseases of England, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Who's your favourite visitor? favorite visitor from a spectral plane yeah uh it was probably david yeah i like david Good david was interesting and uh cellophane like cellophane dave yeah cellophane dave i like cellophane dave yeah I, what's I not like to him. like no? i don't like him. <laughs> you can't see him i know that's why i don't like him you can't <laughs> trust someone you can't see so that must have been a scary album to make horrifying yeah it's all coming true now well it's diseases of everywhere yeah not just england everywhere. that's right which is a it is an intrinsic fact of disease it's no respecter of national boundaries mm. or nationalist populism it crumbles in the face of yeah of yeah. disease yeah. and also cellophane dave who they have no respect for. well cellophane dave is immune to this kind of thing because he's got quite a lot of copper mm. in him yeah 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 that's like you can just unwrap this part of the cellophane that is diseased. That's it's right. Like shedding skin, but but quicker. And cellophane, Dave's he's a genius. Yeah. Yeah. But on the plus side, if if, you've, if he's any tattoos he's got, he can project well on an overhead project. That's a good point. Yeah. That's one of his main talents. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. What a guy. Yeah. I know. I love, and I like I say, I, I say I don't like him, but I kind of feel like maybe I'm threatened. On anything by day by stepping. You respect him. He's an unwelcome presence in my marriage. Now, onto elevator music. On the cover, you guys are doing that disco dance move where you're like pointing 45 degrees upwards to the ceiling, but I wouldn't really call that your disco record, would you? Uh, no, I think the most disco song we've ever done is um is the ATF. No, David Koch is the de- David is Koch most is disco the most record, record yeah. but that cover doesn't have a, us doing a disco dance no. on the cover. No. So we had to make it up. It's kind of the covers are operating on a delay, yeah. like a two-album delay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
So um, the, the outfits are quite disco too, aren't they? So we haven't yet made the appropriate cover for Elevator Music because all of the all of the covers are two two uh, two albums late. So um, the next one's going to be it's going to be pretty damn spacey and elevatory. I can yeah, tell you. Yeah, probably. You don't really hear much about bands having that sort of problem. No, and I think other bands have to ask themselves why. Mm. You know, because we have that kind of problem all the time. So I don't know what they're playing at. It's another question for Duran Duran. Yeah. yeah, what the fuck, Duran Duran? Get it together. Like, you know, with just your, your congruent album covers explaining your fleeting but ephemeral success. How much was Paul Nicholas's 1970s hit Heaven on the Seventh Floor an inspiration for the title Elevator Music? I mean, not just the title. It was something that we we, we both cherished in our lives and that we wouldn't want to. I mean, it's got, I love all Paul Nicholas's work, and I mean, I, I've felt connection because there's that that sitcom where he plays Vince opposite, um, and his his girlfriend just is good friends. That's right, and his girlfriend is Penny, which is my mum's name. So I, I've always felt a really deep connection to that, and I know that you have as well for various reasons. Yeah, but also I always get out on the seventh floor. She does, even when there isn't one. She just yeah. She's on the roof and, and yep. levitating. So we, we we wanted to do something to pay tribute to it. And I think that album was, you know, it's yeah. a great record. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. yeah. And there's the Aerosmith influence too. I mean, you had on Diseases in England, you had All You Need Is Love. Mm -hmm. And then they had Love in an Elevator, you know. That's right. That's right. Synchronicity. I personally don't think Aerosmith didn't really come into my thinking at all, actually. That was something that I... I purposefully shunned and ignored while we were writing that but i know that you listen to it a lot i like yeah i've got a bit of a soft touch for aerosmith she does and if they want to claim it they just need to call the number on our website correct me if i'm wrong here though but if you in fact are beyond the radio horizon you wouldn't hear any of those songs would you well that's the that's the idea behind that song is, is, the, is the, the longing to be so far away from the earth and traveling at sufficient speed that you would never have to be troubled by it's quite a, a horrible song in many ways it's about just about um wanting to be completely away from any possible contact by humanity uh but i think that while this is not true in the case of aerosmith in the case of paul nicholas i think life finds a way so that's the kind of hidden meaning underneath it all because, I mean, you could, can you imagine a universe without the Paul Nicholas record? I can't, and I wouldn't want to. And if I did, I would be upset. So I'm not going to. Now, it's even scarier than you know, the daughter slaughter stuff we were talking about. Horrifying. Horrifying. If, like, you were past the point where anyone could hear these songs, you yourselves could then cover them and claim them as your own. I mean, that seems dubious, but, uh, I mean, unless that was, like, the whole point of the record, and I somehow missed it, like stealing the hits of paul nicholas and steven tyler and the boys well this is something that we're not allowed um to to speak of due to the ongoing lawsuit with danny boyle um for stealing that idea from us because that really was something that we yeah we're quite upset about that and so that that film came out with the, changing it to changing it from paul nicholas to the beatles which just puts us into the realm of the ludicrous um but but every other call market, you know, it's the same. So I, we're not supposed to say anything. Um, if we do it, can prejudice outcomes. So we're just going to, sorry, we're going to have to stop talking about that. But um, 
but yeah i mean just just say you know if they could see the video they could see my expression they'd know my answer to that question and julia's as well you you would folks all right so i guess let's let's move on we have to leave it at that uh, are you familiar with the drew carey show the true carey show the drew carey show american comedian uh whose line is it anyway yeah he is the, the the poor man's um uh clive anderson i, I i've seen it well the theme song is called cleveland rocks and you have that musical paradise rocks so like by the transitive property i'm guessing you're saying that cleveland is paradise i don't want to limit it to just cleveland there are lots of great places in ohio and um every time every city i've been to in ohio has been 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 has been a prelapsarian wonderland but it's been my joy to explore yeah like an arcadia really that's in um maine i think ah not in ohio not in ohio Okay, paradise though paradise that's in new mexico uh-huh. all right one more question about paradise rocks like you said it in hawaii right mm. that's not the question it's a preamble but like hawaii is like a weird word you know because it's like almost symmetrical it's got like the two a's and the two i's and you've got like a w that you can flip upside down and become an m but like if you flip an h upside down it's still an h like, do you think this is what Elvis was talking about in Always On My Mind? Because, like, once you start thinking about it, that it's hard to stop. Maybe we should have a seance and ask him that precise question. Yeah, okay. Yeah, now I'm up for that. Distributed seance. We need more people, but like, I think we can get at least one Hawaiian on the onto Zoom, maybe. Here, Zoom's very popular now. Someone onto Zoom sounds like getting them onto some sort of new drug, doesn't it? Well, that's, that'll be what hey we'll guys, say. guys, you want to get onto some Zoom, like from the 70s or something? <laughs> you both want to be on Zoom. You want to be on Zoom? You want to be on Zoom? I got some Zoom here. You tried Zoom? Don't you think? I do. Yeah. Maybe Elvis was taking it, like in the list. Oh, man, he didn't. Elvis didn't take no drugs. <laughs> no, man, Elvis. No, yeah. He got a clean living, man. He wouldn't. I was going to try it hard one, too. And Elvis didn't take no drugs. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where that came from. So, what are y'all working on that's coming up next? Oh, oh, just just nothing. We're just sitting here going, "Oh, we've got no money, and we're not going to make it." So, we just don't know what I don't know what we're going to do. We um, were working on lots of theatre. Well, Paradise Rocks, we actually got we were trying to trying to make that into two albums because we have two casts mm. um, and one cast we've got one cast recording but I don't want to but we've got the, the current cast of it on, on it so mm. we're trying to make that into a we were halfway through recording that and now we've had to cancel the recordings because no one's allowed to be within two feet of each other which is which is hard for an, an ensemble cast mm. to obey and while also recording um, so that uh, I've made a I've made a children's story album which is coming out um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of like a, a sort of 80s cassette tape part work style magazine and album for streaming. Um, but that's not, that's for kids, not for cool indie people. Unless they've got kids. Lots of them do these days. I know, right? So that's why I'm, you know, so it's <laughs> the, uh, the, the cool marketing scheme I've got. Yeah. Just like, hey, you shouldn't, you can't justify spending money on my, my grown up output. <laughs> but, but check this out almost immoral not to buy it 
Cool. That is all my questions for today. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Anytime. And for me as well. All right, man, that was rad. I mean, I'm still blown away by the revelation that old John Bond, you know, Jovi, you know, that his first appearance on record is that Star Wars Christmas album. I mean, it gets confusing, too, you know, like with Living on a Prayer. Then we were talking about, you know, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, which is on the Iron Maiden album, No Prayer for the Dying. So, I mean, like, where does this leave us with Wanted, Dead or Alive? I mean, I, I just don't know, you know. But shortly after we did this, the Indelicates have been posting this crazy rave tune they made out of this song, Magic E, from an old kids learning program on the BBC, you know, the British Broadcasting Corporation, I believe. I mean, not as I once saw when I was walking around London years back now. I once saw the British Bathroom Center shop. I mean... I can't say for sure if the Bathroom Center had any children's learning programs in the 80s. I mean, and would that be like the ideal way to teach spelling? I mean, who knows, you know? Anyway, you can find it on all the band's socials, which are at The Indelicates. And check out their website, theindelicates.com, which has a bunch of stuff. Like I said, I love their records. Check them out. And do check out youngsouthpaw.com. I've got some a bunch of stories up on there with my other podcast, you know, the Young Southpaw Part of an Hour. Got a bunch of videos up there, too. I've been putting up some new ones. I did an Instagram live show that's there now. And, you are know, speaking of spelling, you know, I'm going to play out on one of my favorite songs, which, which we discussed earlier. You know, the song Ill, that when written looks like the Roman numeral three. You know, great trickster title there. So, uh... So from the great Songs for Swingin' Lovers album, Here's Ill. Wishes 